0: Well, Good morning again. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. and In just a moment or two, I'm going to read from verse 23 all the way to the first verse of chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, page 812 is where you would need to turn to be where we were at. Um, Just a couple of things. First of all, if you're new to West Cohasset and we haven't met, it would be my privilege to do that, so think about that when our time together is done. And also, if you have a question about what is said or sung or read this morning, or if you have a question about Jesus, Jesus Christ, then I will do my best to try to answer that question or those questions for you. So we're going to read the Bible, and then I'm going to pray and ask God for his help. Okay, verse 23. Everything is permissible. But not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for your conscience sake, the other man's conscience. I mean, not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I am not seeking my own good. Let me just pause for a minute. This is the connection between Christian freedom And the gospel between Christian freedom and evangelism. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. And then verse 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray together, please. Well, God and Father, how beautiful it is to know that true and lasting freedom comes only through your Son. It does not come when we are able to do whatever we want, but when we are able to do what he has said. So as we turn now to the Bible together, we ask that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher and our helper. We desperately need this help both to speak and to understand, to believe and obey, to listen and actually apply these truths, so that we would all bow down to the authority and the sufficiency of your word. Now, Father, to this end, we, we humbly and in some sense, we desperately seek. In Christ's name, then, we ask. Amen. So here's our connection. Freedom is for, our Christian freedom is for the gospel, for its advancement, for its proclamation. So let me ask you some questions, okay? First of all, would you like to live in a world where everything is permissible, okay? Would you like to live in a world where everything is permissible? In other words, anything goes, everyone can do anything they like. Now hold that thought for a moment. Let me ask you another question. This question is a bit more personal. Would you like to live in a world where everything you decide to do is permissible, Again, would you like to live in a world where everything you decide to do is permissible? You, you just decide, and off you go, and you do it, no thought of anyone or anything else. Now, I'm guessing that, um, although I suppose you never know, but I'm guessing that most of you would not like to live in a world where everything is permissible, Okay? What an ugly, wicked, chaotic world that would be. Right? Everyone doing as they saw fit. That was in the time of the judges in your Old Testament. That could be where we are headed perhaps as a culture. Who knows? And I'm hoping that all of you would not like to live in a world where everything you decide to do is permissible as well. A world where you call it as you want it and you do it. Because, at, you know, at first glance, that seems to me the world of a childish, irresponsible, selfish mind. But that is what was happening to some in the church in Corinth. It was wrong, but it was happening. And you can see this if your Bible is open. At the very heart of the chapter is a phrase which appeared to be a slogan in the Corinthian church. And you'll find this twice in verse 23. Everything is permissible. You see it there? The NIV has it in quotes. Some of your translations thing might say, all things are lawful. Okay? Whatever you want to do, do it. Now, now listen, it's a church, so it would be disguised with kind of religious codings, you know. We're going to get to chapter 14, eventually, I promise. And the church's uh, use of tongues and the abuse of tongues and, and the Spirit speaking language. So they use that to kind of hide their indulgences so that they wouldn't appear so fleshly. So if the Spirit told me to do it, who could argue? Right? Who could argue? Now, we've said this in the past, but it bears repeating that when Paul writes chapter 6 verse 12... The same thing he writes here in chapter 10, verse 23, everything is permissible. He's not referring to everything which the scripture clearly forbids. And that's why the NIV translators chose to put these uh, quotes or put quotes around the words, everything is permissible. Okay? Because as I said, this is probably a slogan which was going around in the Corinthian church. We are free to do whatever we want right? Uh, Grace makes us free. The Spirit makes us free. We're free as we want to be, which was simply their misplaced understanding of Christian freedom that Paul had taught them. So the issue in Corinth, as you heard, was meat sacrificed to idols. Was it okay to eat meat sacrificed in the temple? However, it wasn't used, and so it was sold in the market, and now your friends and neighbors who invited you over put that meat they got from the market on your plate. Okay, should you eat it or not? That's the issue. Should you eat meat sacrifice to idols? The principle for us to learn is how free are we as Christians? As people united to Jesus Christ, and therefore we are united to each other, just how free are we in our freedom? Again, the Corinthian mantra, everything is permissible. Grace is so amazing, I can freely do whatever I would like. I always follow the Spirit correctly, so no problem. That was Corinth. However, clearly, there are things the Bible expressly forbids that we may not do, and clearly, the Bible expressly commands things that we must do, right? The sins of omission and commission, uh, not doing what God requires, and then doing what God forbids. Let me just give you some examples, the Ten Commandments, right? The, The Ten Commandments, the very nature of God, the unchanging character of God revealed in those commands, so clearly we should never have a little made up God and that we fashion in our minds with our Bible tightly shut or completely misunderstood. That's idolatry. Clearly we shouldn't throw around God's name in a way that doesn't fit God's truth and doesn't fit God's character. Clearly we should remember the Lord's day and arrange for it properly. Clearly we should honor and obey our moms and dads. Might anybody going to disagree with that one? Clearly, we should never murder. We can't sleep around. We don't lie. We don't steal. We are not to be dissatisfied with God's providence and then covet everybody's stuff and their partner and their people. So clearly, everything is not permissible. And that's just the moral law. Jesus had all kinds of instruction in line with the moral law about lust and giving and revenge and forgiveness and things that we ought to do and things that we ought not to do. So again, clearly, not everything is permissible therefore this verse 23 scripture refers to what we would say are debatable matters areas of secondary concern areas that are not exactly mentioned in the bible areas which are not bound to the gospel and that's very very important let me give you some examples the virgin birth of jesus christ is not a debatable matter it's tied to the gospel there is no gospel without it the substitutionary death of christ not a debatable matter It's tied to the gospel. There's no gospel without it. Christ was crucified. He was buried. He was raised. All the things that we really don't talk a lot about these days. Justification by faith alone in Christ is not a debatable matter. There's no gospel without it. God's universal requirements in Christianity, in his gospel, are not debatable matters. But, and please listen very carefully. But our particular cultural expressions of Christianity, they are certainly debatable matters. I said this before, but it bears repeating. If we think that we have everything down perfectly pat in our Christian setting and walk, then you would have to say, well, we arrived in heaven. And if this is heaven, what a tremendous disappointment. We look back at cultures 100 years ago and rightly say, how could they allow for that? People will look back, a hundred years from now and say about us, how could they allow for that? So do you see how the the New City Catechism worked perfectly? We couldn't have got it any better, right? What were we learning? The Apostles' Creed. Everything that we announced, that we said out loud, that we affirmed, is tied to the gospel. There's no gospel without those things, so that's not debatable. However, probably when the average person picks this text up, and reads about meat sacrificed to idols, like, okay, well, we can skip that pretty easily. I mean, that's like so remote to us, right? I mean, when was the last time you went to your friend's house and your first thought as they put the plate before you was, I wonder if this meat has been sacrificed to idols, right? When my wife and I go to your house, we say things like, is this store-bought or is this field-caught? Which one is it? We'll, We'll eat both, but which one is it? Okay, but here are some questions which might come up, over which the Bible gives no express directives, and for which we need to abide biblical principles that we're going to learn in these verses. Now, when I say these, don't think I'm tied to these, okay? Don't come up after church and say, hey, Joe, what do you think? Because I could throw up on you. I mean, that's how, that, that could, that's how things are going lately. But anyway, so, so read, read, or listen to these questions. I'm going to read them. Can I, as a Christian, work for a company that produces alcoholic beverages? Can I, as a Christian, listen to all kinds of secular music, no matter what it is? Can I, as a Christian, watch Seinfeld, The Office, Parks and Rec? Can I, as a Christian, hold stock or have a 401k that holds stocks and companies that financially support, with my investment money, certain types of behavior which are clearly forbidden by the Bible? Should I profit from that? Can I hold stocks or 401ks in a company that that works in countries like China or Iran with their dreadful human rights violations, especially to Christians? Should I profit from that? If I live in Colorado, knowing that if you're an adult 21 years of age or older, and I'm quoting now, this is their law, you can now legally possess one ounce of marijuana simply put, as long as you are 21 years or older, you, you have a constitutional right in Colorado to possess and consume marijuana. If that's the case, can I smoke it as a Christian? Because, you know, it wasn't too long ago that smoking cigarettes was taboo in many a conservative church. Or let's say it like this. Okay, I'm 21 today. I've been smoking marijuana since it was deemed legal. Then five years into the future, I become a Christian in Colorado. And they tell me that I'm saved by grace. Can I still smoke my joint? So after church, I light up a doobie in the church parking lot with all the other guys and girls lighting up their cigarettes. Is that okay? Or what about this? What about carrying concealed weapons in a house of worship? Or last Sunday morning, I was driving to church early. The man on the Christian radio said, God wants every Christian kid to be homeschooled. Is that right? He said, <laughs> Ah. That didn't come out of my mouth, now, right? <laughs> Two more. <laughs> Can a Christian vote for a non-Christian as president? This one's silly. Can I dance in the kitchen with my wife? Okay. Now, what we've got to do is we can't let our particular circumstances, our context, forbid us from stretching our minds and thinking these things through. Because we're going to learn this morning partially, Lord willing, next uh, Sunday morning completely, we're going to learn that there are gospel intentions in our Christian freedoms. See verse 33, last sentence, For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of others, so that they may be saved. Right? What is the byproduct of Christian freedom? The correct use. So that others may be saved. Not so that you can only enjoy your freedom. So it's not so easy, is it, in these secondary matters, in these debatable matters. We need God's help because we're not always going to be able to open our Bible and find the exact Scripture to show us right or wrong here. And we equally might find ourselves in strong disagreement with others in these debatable matters. So what are we going to do? Are we Are going to split up? You have the Doobie Brothers over here and the non-Doobie Brothers over there. I mean, what are you going to do? How can you be all things to all people? Therefore, These kinds of debatable matters, they need principles to be applied to them if we're going to understand the nature of Christian freedom correctly. And what it comes down to, now listen carefully, we're taking the long road here, but we're doing it purposely. What it comes down to is that we're going to have to walk that narrow road between legalism and license, right? Legalism, I have a personal list of rules that I personally develop that keep me right with God. You don't keep my list, you're not on my team, I do have a default though when I've been a bad boy or a girl when I do those things on the list they do make me feel better but grace saves me when I'm keeping the rules but you know and I hope you know that the beautiful thing about the gospel is that we're not accepted uh, because we're rule keepers we're accepted because Jesus was the perfect rule keeper right we're accepted by God because of Jesus not because of us so as we go around our day we live with God in the performance of Jesus not our own Okay, that's legalism. License says there's no rules. It's do what you think is right. No one is thinking about others. No one is thinking about the gospel. They're just expressing their freedom any way they choose. Now, these are the kinds of people that have an answer for every question, but expect no questions, because how could anyone question what they know in their heart is right? Now, at worst, these two groups are not Christian. At best, they're Christians, but they're confused. So they champion what the Bible champions, but they negate what the Bible does not negate. They're not bad people. They're just misunderstanding or misusing their Christian freedom. Again, the legalist has their list to keep. They tend to run in small groups. They're always looking for error, which are people who don't believe just like them. The licensed group have no rules to keep. Everything they choose is right. They always get it right. They decide and do. Perhaps some would say in Corinth, being led by the Spirit, and thus they leave other people to themselves. And if you think about this, especially in relation to Genesis 3, and I would invite you to read that maybe this afternoon. In Genesis 3, the one thing that the evil one does is he creates mistrust between Eve and God. And Eve passes down that mistrust to Adam. So that's the single common thread that runs through both legalism and license. God can't be trusted. God can't be trusted because the legalist thinks that they have to pry blessings and love out of God by their behavior. Right? They do a little dance for God and then God goes, here comes the good stuff. That's the legalist. The license thinks that God's law is too constricting and it removes them from the good life. So they would never concur with James 1.25, the perfect law, which gives freedom. So again, our task is to walk that narrow path between legalism and license. And and on the narrow path in which we walk in, we have to be so self-aware. We have to be so honest to know that because of our backgrounds, because of our bents, because of our tastes, we all, all of us have the potential to fall into the camp of legalism or fall into the camp of license. And we have to be so careful because our usefulness in God's kingdom and our walk with Jesus Christ is directly tied to our walking that narrow path correctly. That's why I drew your attention to those last three verses there in chapter 10. This is about the gospel. It's not about your freedom. It's about the gospel. In fact, I think I could say it like this. If we're poor in personal evangelism, one of the reasons may be that we either lean towards legalism too much or we lean towards license too much or we misuse and misunderstand our Christian freedom. Okay. So let's just then throw ourselves into this, right? We've got a good introduction to help us along the way. What am I free to do? And what am I not free to do as a Christian and things expressly not forbidden or spoken of in the Bible? And What Paul does here is he gives us some principles. First of all, then, you can see this in your your, um, worship folder. Ask the right question. And loved ones, the right question is not, am I allowed to do this? That is not the right question. But the question is, Does this edify? That comes from verse 23. Do you see it there? Look at your Bibles, if they're open, please. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. In other words, okay, you are free to do whatever you want, but not everything you do is beneficial to you, nor your brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, nor to the watching world. Paul goes on, again, your Bibles, everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. And the word there is oikodomea, translated edify, build up. So clearly Paul is saying not everything that we are free to do builds up or edifies. Which means again, the ultimate question is not am I allowed to do this? But rather since I am allowed to do this, if I do do this, will it be beneficial to God? Will it benefit my brothers and sisters in Christ in the church? And will it be good for the watching world? Is my decision going to advance the gospel? Verse 33, save others will it edify will it build up the body of christ or will it not build up the body of christ will it build up my brothers and sisters or will it not build them up will it glorify god or will it not and therein is principle number one for christian freedom listen carefully because sometimes when we go into these things we think okay family first that's it that's the right answer start with family first no 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 that's far too small you need to think as a Christian about the whole family, the whole family of God, that is, which is your new and, if you would, bigger and better, in some respects, family. Will it benefit the whole family of God? Will it glorify God? Will it help the watching world? So Paul would be the first one to say Christian freedom is real. Real. But it's one of those things like the ticket you buy for an airline flight, right? Or a train ticket, right? My wife and I have had to buy some airline tickets lately because we want our son to come home for Thanksgiving and we want him to come home for Christmas. So you read through the thing and at the very bottom it says some restrictions apply. And that's it. In the proper use of our real Christian freedom, some restrictions apply. And what is that? Does it benefit the whole Does it build up the body? Does it advance the gospel and all your freedoms? So immediately the Christian life does not and cannot and should not exist by itself. We are our brothers and sisters keeper. I mean, how close is our union, right? Your choices affect me and my choices affect you. And again, the question is, is not, excuse me, the question is not, am I allowed to do this? That is too self-focused. But our question is, Will this edify? Will it build up the body? Now, in my reading, I heard of an evangelist, a 20, 20th century evangelist, because you can't say the things that he's about to say now. But anyway, he's going through the place and he preaches a sermon. At the end of the sermon, there's a and A, and a man raises his hand and asks the question, "Mr. Johnson," that's not his real name, I changed it, as you probably <laughs> not very clever. It's either Mr. Smith or Mr. Johnson, but anyway, <laughs> Mr. Johnson, can a Christian smoke? his answer was yes you can you dirty pig all right so so you get it he he answers it it's permissible but then the question is is it beneficial right now now we have to think here you're a teenager this morning you have to ask that in relation to where you go and what you do you're a business owner you have to ask it in relation to your business ethics you're a retired person you have to ask it in and how you spend your time You're a Christian, you ask those questions in relation to how you tend to the body of Jesus Christ, his church. So that in everything that we are free to do, or about to do, or will do, will it cause Mr. X and Mrs. Y and all those little ones, will it cause them to advance spiritually? Will my activity cause spiritual advancement for the body? Will it build the body up or will it tear the body down? And again, the question is not, am I allowed? The question is, since I am allowed, will it build me up? Since the Bible doesn't deny this to me and what I'm about to do, will it build up me, my brothers and sisters? Will it edify my church family? Will it cause the watching world to be drawn to Jesus Christ? You see, that's the question. A list of do's and don'ts that are extra biblical are so easy Right, You make a list, you keep it, no problem. This is robot Christianity. But when you work on a platform, a principle, and you have to think hard about your context, it is completely, completely different. Let me give you uh, two passages. Romans 14 and 15 is the parallel verses to this, these verses in um, 1 Corinthians 10. Romans 14, 19. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace... And to mutual edification, same word, build others up. Romans 15 two, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Again, same word. So now that you see verse 24, that's our second principle. First principle, does my decision on these debatable matters, will it build up? Will it edify the body? Will it, will it benefit the world? Will it help me? Will it glorify God or will it not? Second principle, you're thinking about everybody and everything. That's the second principle, right? When you decide in these secondary issues, these questionable matters, verse 24, do you see it there? Nobody should seek his own good but the good of others. Now, that's a command that you have to apply to this principle, right? It's a command that you have to apply to the principle. Pagans and two-year-olds can make a decision and they're first in line in their mind, right? That's easy, Christians make decisions with others first in line in their mind and aren't you glad I mean I'm really glad that when Jesus came to the earth it wasn't a quality of life issue for him I mean aren't you glad that when Jesus came to the earth verse 24 he wasn't seeking his own good but the good of others the father's glory humanity's salvation if he doesn't come there's no reason for us to get together this morning we're dead in our sins it's all over Philippians 2.4, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also the interest of others. That's, that's verse 24. Have this mind in you as it was in Christ Jesus. Or Galatians 5.13, listen to this one. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Check. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, here we go, serve one another humbly in love. Paul goes on, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Okay, why do we have the law in part? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You want to love people, work through the commands. If you bite and devour each other, Paul says, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Okay, let's work this out then, okay? Let's work it out. There's a decision to be made. First, we ask ourselves, does the scripture expressly forbid it? If it is expressly forbidden, namely, uh, do not steal. You don't have to do a whole lot of prayer about that one, right? Just don't steal. Just don't steal. It is, let's say now, if it is expressly required to do. Well then, for example, do good to others. Then you don't need a committee to decide. You just simply go and do good. But if the issue is unaddressed in the scriptures, so there's no verses that speak directly to this, then we have our questions. Question number 1. Does it benefit? Does it build up the body of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ's church? Does it do good for my brothers and sisters? Since we learn, look at chapter 10 verse 17 in 1 Corinthians. We are one body. Now, how close are we? Why well, does it benefit? My decision does it benefit the body? Does it build the body up? Does it advance God's glory? Does it advance his gospel? So, loved ones, ultimately, our own business is not our own business. Ultimately, our own time is not our own time. Yesterday, I was listening to Charlie Rich, Believe It or Not. and there, There's a song that has the opening line, uh, um, when we get behind closed doors, full stop, don't go anywhere, right? Just that one. When we get behind closed doors. Ultimately, there is no closed doors for the Christian in the church of Jesus Christ. Because... I think one of the things that might be what what postmodern men and women and the evil one does not like about a true biblical church is that we are actually, really, truly united so that our lives have to adjust for each other. Really, honestly, we have to do it. I mean, if you're not in Christ, that's crazy talk. I mean i'm an american citizen i know my rights i have my freedoms you see what a wonder the church of jesus christ is y- you have really been placed in christ and therefore we have been really placed really placed into one another and as a result of this although we have different backgrounds we have different tastes we have different bents and all the wonderful uniqueness of that the thing that has brought us here together is only the grace of god that before there was time before there was space before there was anything god was connecting the dots of our lives so that we could be together why so that we could be mad at each other so that we could live like a parasite and just take from the body or so that we could decide life without ever considering one another does that sound like a family does that sound like a real union i mean if i tried that stuff in my home my wife would kick my butt I mean, you can't live like that in my home. I don't live to myself as a Christian, and I don't die to myself as a Christian. So the same thing that might repel postmodern men and women, it might just say, would you look at them? I mean, do they really like each other that much? Are they really that united? I'm going to go and check out and see. I'm just going to see. It's only the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ which forgives sins. It's only the grace which establishes us in the company of forgiven people. Which establishes us in the work for the good of one another, the glory of God, and the advancement of his cause in the world. Where you have people coming together in a building and just going through religious exercises, that is not a true church. I don't care how good they are, how large they are, how terrific they might look. When they're just going through the motions, that is not a true church. So as you would guess, hymns start coming to my mind. Here's one. We are heirs of the Father. We are heirs of the Son. We are children of the kingdom. We are family. We are one. Uh, The Getty song, third verse, beneath the cross of Jesus. Just listen. Beneath the cross of Jesus, his family is my own. Once strangers chasing selfish dreams, now one through grace alone. How could I now dishonor, right? Humiliate, discredit, scandalize. How could I now dishonor the ones that you have loved? Do you understand what's happening there? The singer is telling God, God, how could I dishonor the ones that you have loved? Beneath the cross of Jesus, see the children called by God so this makes sense so why in the world would, would a child of the king make a life decision on a secondary matter without thinking first about God and his glory without thinking about the brothers and sisters in Christ without thinking about the church and the watching world who, who are still dead in their sins who, who are constantly uh, bad-mouthing the church right you guys are filled with hypocrites and you're judgmental people and you're, most of you are grumpy and you really don't give a rip because if you did then you would do X, Y, and Z you see Christian freedom, gospel advancement, tied together. I was thinking that this might change some of the ways that we make decisions. I was thinking it better change some of the ways that we make decisions as individuals. Principle number one, does it build up? Does it edify? Verse 23. Principle number two, the highest good in my decision is the good of others. Verse 24. Simply put, when we lead with ourselves, we'll always get it wrong. We will always get it wrong, the good of others first, and not my own, verse 24, because the basis on how I decide uh, those questionable matters is relying on these two principles. So all of a sudden, whoever God puts by your side, they become your concern. They become your concern. I read this week of a pastor who preached through these verses at the end of his talk, He asked the congregation, could anyone give a personal example of how they gave up something that they were free to do for the sake of another Christian? One man raised his hand. He said he didn't drink or smoke around other Christians. It's nice. After the service, tons of people came up to the pastor and he said, you know what? For the first time in my life, I realized that I've never actually given up any liberty for the sake of others, for the sake of others. It's hard to do in America, isn't it? I mean, most of us have our days planned out right now. When we get out of here, we know what we're going to do. God forbid something get in the way to stop us. Now, we're not going to finish this section, as you can see. We have two principles to apply in our decision-making. Let me just help you along the way. After you decide on that debatable matter, you decide you do, but you may not do, you may not enjoy your liberty by expressing it in a way which offends other people. That's what Paul's saying there. We'll learn more directly next time. So in a particular situation, if my liberty offends other people, I will not enjoy that liberty. And here's why. Because true Christian freedom is to be so free from ourselves so as to build others up, glorify God, and serve the watching world by being like who? by being like our Lord Jesus Christ. Follow my example. Verse 1, chapter 11. Do you see it there? Follow my example, says Paul, is as I follow the example of the freest man who ever lived, who just happened to be the greatest servant to humanity who ever lived, who cared more and loved more than anyone who ever lived. Now, who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. We began with a couple of questions. I'm just going to end with one question. Any Christian here, any Christian here not want to be like Christ? So we have to go home. At least I do. I'm going to think this through. I'm going to test myself and see if these things are true in me. And I would commend the same to you because this is what we know for sure. Time is short. People desperately need Jesus and the body of Christ needs building up. It needs building up. Let's pray together. Father, will you please guard us from being a dreadful church, cold, selfish, judgmental, turn in upon itself individually or corporately. Will you make us warm and inviting and generous and liberal with others and always turning our gaze to the watching world and to others before we ever settle settle on ourselves. Help us to decide all that we may do with the man on the cross as our example. Now may the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be ours this morning and forevermore. Amen.